Yeah, so my name is Alan. If I haven't met you before, um, I am the uh, like the campus pastor of Stepping Stone Ministry. So Stepping Stone Ministry is our college fellowship, um, and we meet together on Sundays. But we do most of our things, you know, throughout the week on the Hopkins campus. We have a lot of uh, new college students today, so uh, welcome everybody. Um, and yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, I just had a newborn, so that's that's the explanation for why I slept through three hours last night. Yeah, there's uh, baby Emma. Um, yeah, so she's about five months, five weeks old. Um, and yeah, I, I am just, I'm tired. <laughs> like, like, I, you know, I'm like, this is, this is by far the hardest month of my life. <laughs> like, like, I, you know, I was being me in college. Like, I, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, like, nah, like studying tests, like whatever, man, <laughs> like, like taking care of an infant that is crying every three hours for reasons that you have no idea why, you know, it, in triggering this like you know crisis mode every three hours it's just it's it's a lot you know and um you know it's been a lot of joy it's been also really tough right and so you know for everybody who's like you know you know one day i don't know uh you know i was a college student i was like i was like i have no idea what it's like to be you know a parent or anything but you know here i am and it's cool to be able to see that it's cool to be able to see god's faithfulness in my life in that way and giving me these these things and um yeah so i'm just i feel blessed even though I'm also very tired too. So, yeah. Um, just thankful to be able to introduce a new sermon series for us today. So, um, we are embarking on a new journey through a new book. Um, it's a book that I feel like at Grace Life we reference a lot, but it's a book I don't think we've actually preached through recently. And so, Phil and I were kind of you know, having a conversation. We're like, okay, what book should we, you know, cut, what book should we preach through next? And I don't know if you guys, you know, think there's like a, like a super spiritual process to sort of figuring out the book, but sometimes just me and Phil just at Panera or wherever and being like, what should, what should we preach through next? <laughs> and just preaching and being like, what we have, what have we not covered yet? You know, and we realized that we have not covered actually the book of Acts recently, and and you know, and it was just felt like it fit very well with where our church is at. Um, we've been talking a lot about um, encountering God, experiencing God together as a community. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's just the Acts, book of Acts is just an amazing book for that. And we're like, yeah, why don't we, why don't we go through that? You know, why don't we spend some time in this book? Um, it's a challenging book, I will say. It's an incredibly challenging book, not because it's particularly hard to understand, but because it, it sets such a high bar uh, for what uh, Christian life and what church can look like. Um, and it's every time I read this, I'm always just like, man, like, what would it look like for my life to look like this? You know, like what, you know, it always pushes me out of my comfort zone. And that's kind of what, you know, I'm praying for us as we're kind of going through this book of Acts. Um, my prayer is that, you know, it's not just going to be more information for us. Um, I always think that Sunday services, you know, if you're just coming here just to learn you know, some more Bible knowledge. Well, you can do that, you know, anywhere these days. You can read commentaries, you can do things. Um, but I believe that the space that we have on Sunday mornings is not just about learning, but about being convicted, um, about hearing from God himself speak through the word to us um, in ways that are relevant and real to our own lives, you know, and that's what I believe is the point of service. That's why we do this thing. <laughs> um, you know, we believe that God speaks um, and he will speak. And, you know, if we are open to his heart, you know, 
like he will speak to us. So that's kind of what I want to do today. Um, oh, sorry. This is, I'll, I'll go back there. <laughs> My prayer and hope, you know, as, as, um, you know, I, I kind of just wrote it up there, wrote it up there, you know, just so that we have a focus for what we're going to hope to do throughout the season of Acts is that together as a church, we would be challenged to believe in the mightiness, the mightiness of a big God who can and will move through his people for his kingdom's sake. Um, that's my prayer for us. That's my hope for us this season. Um, it's, it's a big call. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, but I hope is that God will work through it. Um, you know, I just wanted to, you know, this is the previous slide. We just had our serving retreat. Just want to update you guys at Grace Life. You know, what we've been up to, you know, we just had our serving retreat. We just launched a new semester with college students. Uh, this is some of the core members and leaders that, you know, we just uh, went out for a weekend somewhere in Pennsylvania. I still have no idea where it was. Uh, there's a dirt road and, you know, we thought we were going to get murdered. You know, <laughs> First went into the farm, you know, and everything. But it, we just had a... Um, can I just say, I, I feel like we just had a really small time. <laughs> I thought it was so good. Um, I felt so filled spiritually. I felt so convicted about a lot of things that I hadn't felt in a while. Um, I felt so um, spirit-driven in ways that I hadn't in a while. And a lot of this is also, I want to incorporate some of that into the message today. That's just kind of a, a photo of us, uh, you know, just cheesing. Uh, so that's, yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into today. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to beginning in the book of Acts, Acts 1, Empowered by God to Witness. That's why I've titled this message, Empowered by God to Be Witnesses. Um, and I, I kind of want to just frame it in this way first. I'll do a lot of framing. Um, one of the things that really spoke to me during our time, during student retreats, was this phrase, ask and you shall receive. Um, and it was this kind of like thing that we were kind of just, as we we're spending a lot of time in prayer, and as we we're spending a lot of time hearing you know, just, just digging into the word. Um, I was just really thinking about the fact that like, man, a lot of this in scripture, I don't feel like I can live out. I don't feel like it's within my range. I feel like it's beyond me. It just feels so high, you know, I can't attain it. And, and I was just encouraged um, by the passage, ask and you shall receive. Um, this very relational way in which Jesus speaks um, to his people you know, and he says, like, hey, it's okay not to get it. It's okay not to know. It's okay not always to, you know, be at the right place. Um, asking you shall receive. A lot of the beginnings of faith is really about just being open to God about what he can do and having faith that God will move when we, when we open ourselves to him. Uh, so that's something that, you know, um, I was just thinking about um, during retreats. And, um, and I want to apply that to, to, to some of his promises um, that I, I see in this scripture today. And this is the first of many promises I, I'm going to see in Acts. Um, but here is the promise I want us to think about and to hold on to throughout the whole sermon today. That God has promised in power his broken and fallible and faulty and weak, you know, saints, right? His Christians with the Holy Spirit so that through them and oftentimes in spite of them, people would be saved. When I see in Acts, um, it's called the Acts of the Apostles because it's about these people doing these things. But I think sometimes, you know, more appropriate title can be Acts of God, Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, because it really is God that's the one that's moving. He's the one that's empowering uh, his broken and fallible saints with the Holy Spirit so that through them and in spite of them, people will be saved. And you see that all the time in Acts. You see that in, you know, Peter, who was a coward, you know, preaching this amazing message 
you know, and thousands of people come in Christ. You see that in, in Saul, who was literally as far away from being a Christian as you could be. You know, he was killing Christians. He was putting them in jail. You know, he was persecuting them in that kind of way. And God sort of almost uses him as an example to be like, it's not, it's not about you. <laughs> you know, it's not about who you are or anything. It's, you know, so that I would be glorified it's because I'm moving. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to work through you um, for unbelievable things, right, that he works Paul. So that's the promise I want us to hold on to and think that that applies to us as well. Ask and you'll receive. God is able to empower us. Um, that's going to be something I'm going to circle back to um, near the end of the message. So let's first get into our passage. Um, here it is. If you, you know, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. If not, it's here. Um, you can just read along with me. Acts 1 verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until a day when he was taken up. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which said, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's our passage today. Let me just pray for us real quick. Um, Father, I just thank you for this word. Uh, I thank you that, yeah, your word is living and active. Um, I thank you that, yeah, you have, you have things to say to us today, this morning. Um, uh, I'm sleepy. I feel like people are sleepy. Uh, Lord, I just pray that in spite of that, God, that you would still speak, that you would, um, yeah, give us something to latch onto. Give us something um, that, that will just stay in our hearts, um, that we can just remember, um, that we can just be encouraged by um, I pray that you would fill us, God, with faith again, um, and that if any of us are just struggling with, with um, just unbelief or doubt or, or any of those things, God, I just pray that, um, God, that you would do the miracle of creating faith in our hearts again. Help us to see you, even though you're invisible and even though you're, it's hard to see you physically here, Lord, um, help us to see you, the invisible God, the immortal God, um, to whom and through whom all things belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, the beginning of this passage starts with, you know, what the foundation is, is an impossible miracle, right? An impossible miracle, something that's never happened before. Um, to my knowledge, never, <laughs> never will happen, at least in history so far. Um, you know, it, it begins in the aftermath of of the resurrection. So Acts is actually a part of the second part of a two-part series, where the first book is called Luke, 
Um, and so that's why in the beginning he's like, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote a first book. It's Luke, you know, I was talking about Jesus. And now I talk about the continuation of Jesus beyond him. Um, so this is Luke speaking. Um, and so he writes about this. And so he's like, yeah, he's referencing the end of Luke, which ends with the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ. You know, he's re referencing here, Jesus presented himself alive to them, to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs appearing to him during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive. And he's referencing all these encounters that the risen Christ, after he was you know, crucified, um, was presenting himself. He was showing who he was. He was talking to them. He was eating with them. He even let them you know, touch the place where his, his, uh, his, his hands were crucified. Um, you know, this, this was kind of this kind of thing. Um, so this was, uh, this was the aftermath of an absolutely unbelievable miracle. And I think that's something we, you know, for those of us growing Christianity, you know, we, we, we overlook this, right? You've heard of the resurrection many times, but I, you know, I would challenge you to just put on, you know, if you're not, a, if you're not a Christian, then you're already here. But if you're a Christian, you know, pretend like, you know, you haven't heard all this stuff, right? And think for me for a second, just take at face value, the words that I am saying, right? So I'm telling you that a man who died, right? was a corpse, right? Was deteriorating and undergoing bodily decomposition, right? Uh, somehow is, you know, alive, <laughs> like was resurrected, right? And, you know, if I, if I were to go and claim that to you today, you know, that, yeah, like, you know, my, you know, let's just say like, you know, so, some friend of mine died, you know, a close friend of mine died and we buried them and you were there and you saw them, you were at the funeral. And I saw you and I say, yeah, I just saw them at Taco Bell the other day. You know, like you put me away in the, you know, like the lunatic asylum, right? You'd be like, you are insane, right? Um, there is something about the core of Christianity that is actually very, very difficult to believe. And I, I think there's something about just being conditioned that the Christians were like, oh yeah, he's crucified, he rose, you know, but you know, <laughs> you guys are all uh, people of science. Like, you know, a lot of you guys come from Hopkins, you know, this is this is in defiance of what we know about science, about physics. You know, it's it's something that I you know I would say is very very difficult to believe, and that is the foundation is that it's something almost I would say bordering on unbelievable and impossibility, right? Yet it is this very thing that becomes the core of what early Christianity is all about. You could see that you know maybe the early Christians wanted to hide that they'd be like, oh, this is. You know, it's kind of a hard thing for us to really sell to people. You know, maybe we should present like the, the easy stuff, you know, like, oh, you know, we come to come to church, you know, we have activities and fun things and, you know, we should present those things first. But no, the early Christians were absolutely just resolute about this being the core thing, even if they were being mocked and scorned for it. Um, this is from Paul. So Paul writes a letter and some say that this snippet of this letter is sort of like an early creed, something that people would memorize and people would recite and people would kind of say to each other. Um, they used creeds a lot back in the day. So imagine if you were just, you know, meeting another brother sometime or a sister at the market, you'd be like, yeah, you know, God is with you, you know, how are things going? And, you know, maybe you recite the creed, yeah, Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. He was buried that he rose on the third day in accordance with scriptures. You know, and it's just one of those things that you just say, you know, that's just you know, so commonplace that you sing, that you hear all the time, you know, so people think that, you know, this probably was one of these early creeds, and you see the pattern of this, right, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, 
right? It's so important that he was buried. Now he really was dead. You know, he, he wasn't just like, you know, half dead. He didn't look how, you know, he was buried. He was a corpse, right? He experienced the death that we will all experience. Yet, at the same time, he was raised on the third day. This was just absolutely just a fundamental aspect of early Christianity. And I want to take a little bit of time just to explain why it matters so much. Why did they fight so hard, tooth and nail, for this reality um, that Christ was bodily resurrected, not just a symbol, not just some kind of like good idea or some kind of feel-good message, but that's supposed to be actual physical reality. It's because the resurrection was vindication of Christ. It vindicated who he was, vindicated his message, it vindicated his sacrifice. The resurrection was proof that Jesus wasn't just some raving lunatic. Um, because I can go out there and I can claim that I'm the son of God, you know, but you, you put a bullet in me, I'm not coming up. <laughs> you know, that's not happening, right? Um, many people have claimed over the years, you know, to be the divine son of God. You know, at the time, you know, the emperor of Rome was claiming to be the son of God. I mean, that's in vogue at the time. Everyone did that, um, you know, but here was the only man to have claimed that and to have vindicated his claim, proved his claim through an actual bodily resurrection. Um, it's something absolutely incredible and absolutely crucial to show that Jesus really is who he says he is. Second, it shows that Jesus' death on our behalf was actually enough to pay for our sins. Um, and this is something that, you know, I, I know a lot of people sometimes struggle with this concept of like, man, will God forgive me if I sin? You know, if God forgive me, if I kind of, you know, fall away from him, if I do these kinds of things. Um, and the resurrection is vindication that God has fully forgiven us because not only was Christ crucified, but he was resurrected. Um, the putting, so the, the crucifixion of Christ was a sign that God had rejected Christ on our behalf. And the resurrection of Christ was a sign that God had accepted us, uh, accepted Christ and accepted us as Jesus bore our sins to death. Um, that's the gospel. That's what we always talk about when we talk about the gospel. Um, and that's just, that's also the fundamental aspect of what Christianity is. But here's the relevancy for us today as we're exploring this passage, uh, this foundational core of early Christianity. Um, and it's this, right? The resurrection was also the vindication that the impossible is possible. The impossible is possible. Never before had a man gone through dead, you know, and conquered it, um, ended up on the other side before. Um, and, and it's this claim about Christianity that just is, it's just defiant, I guess, and it's really different from the rest of the world, right? That early Christian, that Christianity is blatantly supernatural. Um, and I think there is something about how we, process Christianity today, especially in a modern American context um, that likes to sort of like remove all the supernatural from Christianity. And we like to function in ways as if we don't actually believe um, we say we do doctrinally, but do we actually think these things happen? Do we actually believe that God is a God of miracles, um, that God is capable of doing things, that God is capable of you know, resurrecting or healing or, or even doing things that we would consider impossible. I would say most American Christians are like, yeah, it's possible, but I've never seen it. I don't think it happens. And we function really in this way, almost stripping the supernatural because it's embarrassing in some ways, right? And we want to be, you know, 
respectable and we want to be, you know, not seen as crazy and all those things. But no, early Christianity was blatantly in your face supernatural. Here again is Paul speaking. He's speaking to a group of skeptics. So they're Greek people in Athens. And here's the end of his message. He says, for he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by a man that he appointed. He has given proof of this, but, but to everyone by raising him from the dead. So same argument that we just made. And of course, like there are two responses. Anytime you make that argument that yeah, somebody was raised from the dead and they heard from the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we will hear you again on the subject. And that's just, that's just what happens. You go out there, uh, you know, go to Hopkins campus. I don't know if you guys want to try this and you go to someone and you'd be like, let me tell you something. Jesus rose from the dead. Like this, I'm not talking about physical, actual reality. You will get either two of these responses, right? Someone's going to be like, you actually think that bro? Like that's, you know, they will sneer at you or they will, you know, or they'll be like that. That's something I've never heard of before. That's I'm potentially interested in knowing about what more that does that mean? Christianity is blatantly supernatural, and we can't hide that, and we can't just do away with that. Um, and that's something we're going to see over and over again in the book of Acts. So it comes down to this. Jesus, when he was alive, he did, he did say this um, to Martha um, at, a, at a time when he was, um, when, at, at another point that was a similar kind of incident um, to his resurrection. And at this point, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus, you know, this, the context of this is actually really funny because um, Martha's brother had just died at this point. And Martha's like trying to be the good Christian, you know, she's like trying to say all the right things. She's like, yeah, I believe in the resurrection, of the, you know, like all this doctrinal kind of stuff. And Jesus points at her and he looks her in the eye, I believe probably, I'm guessing, Right. And he, and he tried, and he focuses her away from like this abstract concepts of like, oh, there's going to be some resurrection someday. And he says, no, look at me right now. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will not die. Like you actually, though you die, you will rise again. You will have eternal life. You will be in a body someday in a different, there is going to be life after death for you. And he looks at her and says, do you, or do you not? believe this, right? An ultimatum in some ways. And I think that's something maybe perhaps that Christ is saying to us today. Do you or do you not believe this? I mean, if you actually do, then live like you actually do. Then proclaim it like you actually do. Then hope like you actually do. Or if you don't, then maybe that exposes something about what our faith is really about. Um, that we can go to church, that we can be a part of church activities, that we can do things um, and you can say, you can call yourself Christian and you can do those things and that's fine. But, but ultimately at the end of the day, this is what it comes down to, right? Personal faith in a absolutely supernatural and difficult to believe at times, um, God. So that's the foundation for all of this, an unbelievable miracle. And it results in a huge challenge. Like the acts, this is why I say acts is so hard because they got this huge challenge ahead of them, Right. So Jesus says these words. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we read this again and we're like, oh yeah, that's the thing. This is crazy. <laughs> Think about it for a second. You're 12 people. You know, there's more than 12 people in this room, you know? And it's just like, if Jesus were to come in and say, 
y'all, y'all group of people here, you're going to reach the whole world with the gospel. Like through you, the whole world is going to know about me. It's, I mean, like, you know, be like, oh, I think we need some more people, Jesus. I, I think, I think, I don't know if that's possible, right? And, you know, just to kind of stress how, how crazy this was, because some days we were like, man, it's so hard being Christian. And it's, you know, um, you know, when, when largely it feels like American, um, you know, those around us have largely rejected the faith. It's like, oh, it's hard. This is what's really, really hard for them, right? Think about what Jesus was calling them to be. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in the very place that just crucified me. You know, they literally just put me to death, you know, for speaking, for being, you know, for proclaiming the Lord. And you're, I'm, I'm telling you, you guys are going to go and be witnesses now. You know, that's, you know, who's ready to die, right? <laughs> like, it's like, you know, you'll be witness, my witnesses in Jerusalem. Not only that, but, you know, you're going to go to Judea and Samaria and you're going to have to deal with all this whole nation of people, many of whom do not believe me, even when I was here. And not only that, but you're going to have to go to the Roman Empire, you know, and you know what they think about Jews, you know, and Christians, um, you know, and not only that, but you're going to have to go beyond that because the whole, you know, known world at that point was just the Roman Empire. So they didn't even know about like South America or like Asia or like China and you know, all that stuff. And, and you're going to have to go to these places that you don't even know about. You know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a crazy, impossible task that Jesus is calling them to. And I want for us to just take a moment to think about for ourselves, what is the equivalent in your minds? just to make it more real for yourself. Here's the equivalent in my mind. I know it's smaller, but for me, it seems impossible, right? Revival on the Hopkins campus. Um, when I first came to college, I was like, yo, it's possible. <laughs> like, it's possible for our campus to know God. It's possible, you know, in Baltimore, revival in the Baltimore. It's possible, you know, for people to, thousands of people even to come to Christ. I was reading Acts, and I was like, it's possible. And then 10 years passed, right? And now I'm at a point where I'm like, man, it's really hard to believe that that's possible. Like, man, like if I'm honest with myself, do I actually think that God is capable of bringing like to faith everybody around us? Do I actually believe that God can do any of these things? Do I believe that God can actually bring about justice when there's injustice? You know, do I actually believe that God can do these things? You know what I mean? And I think over the years, it just became so small in my mind, right? I started to set smaller and smaller goals. I'm like, man, you know, if we could just, you know, if we could just like lead one person to crisis, you're like, good. You know what I mean? I'm faithful. <laughs> that's good. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like, that's fine. You know, and there's seasons for things. Um, but I stopped believing that that was possible. And I started to think more about like what I had to do. And I'm like, wow, there's so much work involved. You know, like there's so much, it's so difficult. Um, I think about my mom, you know, who does not know the Lord, my dad, who does not know the Lord, my grandpa, my grandma, who doesn't, they don't know God. Um, I did not come from a Christian family. I think about sometimes praying for my mom and every time praying for her, just fighting the unbelief of like, this is not going to happen. Like, how is this going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've talked to her many times and she's been very clear that she's not interested, <laughs> you know, or my grandma or my grandpa who, you know, are just at the end of their lives and, and just thinking like, I don't like, first of all, they speak Chinese. Like, I don't even speak Chinese that fluently. How am I supposed to do this? Um, I think about these things that I consider to be impossible. Um, and I, I don't know what you consider to be impossible. I don't know what you limit and you struggle to feel that God can do. 
Um, that's probably perhaps how these disciples were feeling at this time. The impossibility of this task. And then finally, the command to trust and wait. The command to trust and wait. And this is where I think the heart really of what I want to talk about today here. It's an impossible task, right? Um, which is why Jesus says um, to wait for the promise of the Father for the Holy Spirit. And this is really what the heart of what it is, is that it was designed, I think, in a way that no man could ever do, that no person could ever think about leaning on their own abilities. It was designed in a way that's like no church strategy, no clever ideas, no you know, well-designed outreach posters could ever do anything, but for God working um, in the power, in his power. So that's why he calls them actually to wait for the promise of the father. He doesn't tell them immediately to go. It's like, y'all are going to get killed. So wait. And they had to wait for 50 days before the coming of what would actually empower them to do what God was calling them to do. And this is those promise to them, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And therefore you will be my witnesses, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power with the Holy Spirit. That's the missing piece, right? That isn't what we think about when we think about the task ahead of us, what God has called us to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit. And this is something that I want to encourage you guys to take hold of by faith. Um, there are a lot of times when we, we pray and we're like, I don't know if God will answer. I don't know if God will, you know, say what, you know, do what he says. Uh, but, but the promises of God are things that he says that we could fully rest all our confidence in. He says this for the apostles, and he says this for those of us who have inherited, you know, his, 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 uh, the apostles' task, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, because as I read and as I, like, just read again and again in Scripture, I find the Holy Spirit being the one thing, uh, the one aspect, person of God, that I think we consistently just neglect over and over again. Um, and I think that's an aspect of American Christianity, just stripping away the supernatural. Um, I was taught when, you know, I first became Christian, um, or at least, you know, I was kind of showing that, like, you know, the Holy Spirit, like, you know, he's kind of there, but you don't, you don't really like see him or feel him, you know? And so I was like, how are you supposed to know you have the Holy Spirit? You know, it's like, well, you can't really know, you, you know, you just have to, you just have to believe the Holy Spirit is on you, you know, um, because of scripture, right? And that's valid, right? Like that's, that's true. Like, you know, Holy Spirit is, you know, we, we know that all those who are in Christ, Holy Spirit indwells in them. When I read through Acts over and over again, every time the Holy Spirit comes, it's not not noticeable, right? It's not like, oh, like did the Holy Spirit come? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, Every time I read about the Holy Spirit moving um, in Acts, it's like, it's real, it's forceful, it's powerful. Um, John 3 describes it in this way. He's like, it's like a wind. You can't see the wind. If you've ever been in a hurricane, know the wind is there. You know, you're not like, oh, I don't know if there's wind today. If you're in a hurricane, you know, trees are getting blown around, cars are getting flipped over. You're like, nope, nope, I can't see it, but I know it's there. You know, that's going on. And that's the situation with the Holy Spirit. And I want to really challenge us to think about the reality that, 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 you know, when we read in Acts, that the Holy Spirit is an actual, real, forceful, and powerful, like, like reality that 
believers can and should experience. Um, that was something that really challenged me when I first came to college. And I saw people that really took God like to be real in their lives, who really believed that God could move in these real kind of ways. And they believed in the presence and the, and the reality of the Holy Spirit working. So I want to challenge us in that kind of way. For those of us, I don't know if you've kind of, you're from that kind of background. I'm from a background where like none of that was talked about. And that was transformational for my life um, when I was in college to be like, oh, wow, like there's an actual relationship that I can have with God. Um, there's an actual reality that spirit can speak to me and I'm speaking to spirit and we're praying and we're talking and he's telling me stuff and, and we're, and he's working in my life. Promise of the Holy Spirit is real. Second, they were, they were called to trust and to wait for 50 days, which I know for us, you know, doesn't seem like a very long time, but it was a very long time. You think about the fact that they were all people that were like, you know, huddling in a room because they're, you know, like afraid if they got found out, they would all get crucified too. You know, they were just huddling in this place for 50 days, praying, waiting, and just believing this until the spirit came, um, until the spirit came in power upon them. Scripture says later on in Acts that they were constant in prayer. They were seeking God the whole time. They're waiting for God to fulfill his promise. I think that's perhaps another reason why we do not experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not saying that, you know, if, if you're a believer, you do have the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying, you know, you have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come when he's not there. It's a different context for us today. But I think there are degrees of intimacy and of reality of experiencing the Spirit that never, not every Christian experiences. And I think, and this is not some kind of works sort of thing. I think it's because, I think, it's, I think it comes down to, you know, how seriously are you willing to take this promise that God will give the Holy Spirit in power, that he can empower you, that he can come in powerful ways if you let him. I want to go back to this verse again that I, I said that I would, you know, and this is just something that I just hang on to. This is what Jesus talks about in Luke. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To one who knocks, it will be opened. He goes on to say, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, he instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The context of this verse, this famous verse, uh, ask and you shall receive, is about giving the Holy Spirit, right? This is a promise from God. Jesus makes it as clear as possible. Ask and you shall receive. There's no possible way for us to misinterpret it or to twist it, right? God makes it really clear. You want more God? You want to experience God in real ways? Good. Ask and you shall receive. And if you don't receive, keep asking. Keep waiting, because this is a promise from God. This ain't like, I'm asking for a Mercedes. You know what I mean? Prosperity, God, you know, it's not like, ooh, you know. No, this is clearly something God wants to give you, and he will give you. So keep asking, and keep receiving until you get it. That's a mind-blowing concept for me. And that's been kind of one something that I've been driven in my own life in the past few weeks to do that. It's for myself, just sensing my own spiritual dryness and being like, okay, I mean, this is okay, like, this is fine, but I want more. I know there's more God. I know there's more holiness. I know there's more power. 
I know there's more intimacy and there's more knowledge of you. And I want that. And I'm going to seek you until I find it. I would encourage you guys in that kind of like, man, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is like. Yeah, I've never experienced that. I've never felt what that's kind of like. Seek and you shall receive, right? Finally, um, yeah, I want to just talk about, you know, the last part of this passage, um, which is what is not given. Um, this is a very important part of this passage because even though God promises a lot of powerful things for them, um, there are things that God does not give, right? And in this passage, he says, you know, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, not for you to know. <laughs> None of your beeswax, right? Um, not for you to know. Um, and, and there is a denial in the sense that, like, you know, Jesus is saying, um, first of all, you know, I'm about to leave. You know, I'm going to come back at a certain point. I'm not going to tell you when. You know, you don't get privilege to that knowledge. Um, they, were, they were at this point where they're like, man, Jesus had just resurrected. You know, is he going to come now? Is revival going to come now? You know, is the whole nation of Israel going to turn to God now? You know, is, are we going to defeat the Roman Empire finally now? You know, and they're asking these questions because they're like, it's pretty lit right now. You know, and Jesus says, no, not for you to know. You know, not for you to know when that will happen, how that will happen, where that will happen. And I think that's an important thing for us. Just the last point for us to remember is that as we seek God, that God does not give us the details. You know, even as I pray and I seek that, God, would you bring revival on the Hopkins campus? He doesn't tell me whether it's going to happen this year. He doesn't tell me it will happen in 10 years, in 20 years. Maybe I'll be long gone from Hopkins at that point. I don't know. Um, God does not give us the details. But it's actually this verse that translates, that transfers to the next verse where it says, but you will receive power. And so what Jesus doesn't offer them is knowledge so that they will be able to depend on themselves, so they'll be able to do all these things. What Jesus does offer them is, I am sufficient for you. My power is sufficient for you, and you're going to be my witnesses, and it's going to work, and it's going to be okay. And that's all you really need to know. I think that's last kind of thought for me that just has been resonating so much in my mind is the sufficiency of God and the weakness of man. Sufficiency of God's sufficiency in broken vessels. Guys, I feel like a broken vessel right now um, because of lack of sleep, <laughs> because of just like parenthood has just brought out a lot of kinds of things that I'm like, oh man, like, you know, I, you know, lack of sleep. I am more angry than I've ever been in my life. I've, I'm more irritated. I'm snapping my wife. My wife's snapping at me. I'm not behaving in godly ways. I feel like I have no control of my mind sometimes, you know? And then like last week I was like, and I have to speak for retreat, you know? And like two weeks ago, it's like, like God help. Like I, I, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have anything to give. I don't have my usual routine of, you know, spending 10, 15 hours on a sermon. I got two right now. Okay, Lord. So either you move or it's going to just be a crap show <laughs> or whatever. Um, and God moved, I think, for me, at least, um, during retreats. And he showed me something. He showed me that you're a jar of clay um, and that everything good that happens through you is not because of you. It's not because you're, you know, faithful enough, you're holy enough, you're smart enough. Everything good that comes from you that goes out to bless somebody else's life is from me. The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. And I was just humbled so much in that moment to be like, God, the only thing I bring to you 
is my weakness. The only thing I bring to you is my sin. The only thing I bring to you is my brokenness. But God, you are so gracious and you're so loving that you love to use that. And you love to display your power for your glory in jars of clay, right? In things that honestly do not fit, um, do not, are not worthy, right, of this power. And I think that's something beautiful that I was encouraged by. Gave me freedom to be like, my performance doesn't matter. You know, it gave me freedom to be like, it's not about me. Um, and so I can go out in faith and I can take steps of faith and I can do the things that God has called me to do because I know that he will work through it. It's not me. So I'll end on this. We're called to be supernatural witnesses, guys. And that's a high calling. We're called... God has called and he's going to use us to bring other people to salvation. That is a high calling. That's something crazy. I don't even know how that's supposed to happen, um, but that's the reality that's in this passage. Same time, God has empowered us and will work through us despite our weaknesses. So if you're feeling like I can't do this, this is beyond me, well, you're in good camp because <laughs> God has promised to give you the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. So the question I want to leave you guys with is this. Will you have the faith to receive it and to live it out? Will you have the faith to receive it and to live it out? You know, or will, you know, will you take hold of what, you know, talked about and maybe go back to the passage later and will you say, all right, I don't have this right now, but God, you promised, you said, and so I'm going to seek you. Um, I'm going to wait until you empower me to be able to live the life that you're calling me to do. Will you have the faith to seek that out? I think that's the question I want to leave us with today. Um, an open door, an open invitation for you guys to pursue the Lord in this season. So let me pray for us. Um, and then we're going to actually do communion real quick. Father, thank you that you are always good. You are always faithful, steadfast in love. You're so gracious. I thank you that you love us, God, so deeply, Lord, that you gave your son so that we would be yours. And not only that, but you desire to transform our lives you desire to show us your glory, God. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for myself. I pray that this season, God, would be a time where we, we encounter the greatness of God in our lives. That we would encounter your greatness in ways that are beyond us, God. That ways that we can't manufacture, ways that... Ways that that could only come from you, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the faith, Lord, to seek you and to wait on you because you promise to move, you promise to give. You promise that your heart is so generous. And so would you do that in our lives? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.